Prepare to unlock your potential and conquer the business realm with Boss Uncaged. Join S.A. Grant, a seasoned entrepreneur, digital marketing expert, and branding specialist as he delves into exclusive interviews, strategies, and success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. Guiding you from overcoming challenges to dominating diverse media platforms, Boss Uncaged is your ultimate source for business and entrepreneurial insights. Subscribe, like, and share now to elevate your business game where the spirit of the uncaged boss runs free. Meet the visionary behind the Boss Uncaged Educational Network and Omnimedia, the one and only boss beast, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So Lainey and I had a little conversation off air, and I will say, like, technically speaking, she is the first podcast episode that I've recorded in 2023, <laughs> which is pretty cool considering that Lainey and I, you know, we, we're part of a networking group. Like, we see each other at least once a week. We have these sidebar conversations. So I, I know enough about her to be dangerous, but we're going to learn way more about her today. So you know her name is Lainey, but my nickname for her is going to be the email marketing boss for obvious damn reasons. So the floor is yours. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about you and what we're going to be talking about today? I love it. Thank you. Um, yeah, so my name is Lainey. I have had my own email marketing consulting business since 2015. Um, I basically focused on marketing automation systems and getting them integrated with small to mid-sized companies' websites so that they can build better relationships with their prospects and customers. Mm -hmm. um, outside of work, I am a concert junkie. So basically all of my money is spent on concerts or traveling to those concerts. How about that? All right. So, so like, do you have like little Easter eggs inside of your email campaigns that have like secret addresses of where you're going to be in the next 30 days kind of thing? Do you put Easter eggs in your emails? I should do that actually. That's a great idea. So that way I can meet my network while I'm on my concerting road. Um, but yeah, I should do that. So most of my emails that I send out are pretty general and they always have a touch of education in them, but then I like to keep them kind of fun and light. So concerts and tidbits like that or where to get best tickets is a good idea. Mm, okay. So like, I, like I, we're talking about email marketing and in today's world, like when you hear email marketing, it's like seeing someone left something in the toilet they forgot to flush and they let it soak there for a minute. It's, it leaves like a bad ring residue. I want you to talk about email marketing and explain exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it. Because again, for, I know you, you hate spam. You're an email marketer mm -hmm. that completely hates spam. So like you're, you're well aware of what I'm talking about. So let's talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm huge on not spamming people. And I don't like purchase lists, which I know a lot of people like to do today because it's an easy way to get email addresses. It's an easy way to just reach the most people. But with email marketing, it's, it's so, even though it's all technical, you still are building human relationships. Mm. So it's hard to think that you can just get a list and blast a bunch of people and get business from it. And yes, that works but you're also violating a lot of privacy laws on that. And because you're doing that, a lot of people might just ignore you because they've never seen you before. They've never been to your website. They've never seen you at an event. So they're thinking, 
I don't know this person. I She probably just got my email address from some random email harvesting company and is emailing me, probably wants to sell me something. I'm going to leave it in my inbox or promotional inbox and ignore it for the next 87 years. So to me, that's just a waste of time and effort. So that's why I really like to help people to build their email list organically the way it should be through forms on the website, connect all of that to their marketing platform. And that way they know exactly who's interested in what, what are people looking at? What are they interested in? Let's email them about that and actually tell them how we help them versus just shooting blind. Hmm. So I think that's definitely very, very interesting. I mean, like, let's say hypothetically, right? I'm a bashful guy. I'm shy. I run a business, but I, I don't do a lot of talking. I don't do a lot of education pieces. You know, how how am I going to, like, start building a list from scratch? Like, how am I going to do that? Like, again, I, I'm not I'm not boss. I'm the guy behind the scene that nobody ever heard of or anybody knows. Where do I start? I think it really starts, if you have a website, it starts there. If you're trying to build that list, you want to have a website with really good SEO. You want to be able to come up in the Google searches. You want to start pushing it out on social media. You want to have good lead magnets. So offer up some free content. Offer up a one-pager of best practices. Offer anything that's going to be helpful versus selling yourself. People are going to be interested in hearing more from you. So they're going to want to actually sign up to get your information because they're going to feel comfortable inside that you're not going to just pitch them your service. You're going to actually give them information that can help them first. And then they'll start a conversation with you and then you'll eventually reach that sale. But to get that list going, you want to just tie it back to what are you putting out there to begin with? So even if you're not that active out in the real world with events and live people events, you can still be active on social media. LinkedIn is huge. Put content out there and you'll have so many people interacting with your business. So it's all about what you're putting out there and how often you're putting it out there for people to want to talk to you. Okay. okay. No one wants to talk to a, a car salesman all the time. <laughs> so based upon what you're describing, it's kind of like a nurturing email sequence, right? So like, let's, let's dive into that. Like there's different levels of nurturing emails. There's like the, the 30 email one per day to your point, giving education every single day. There's the five, email onboarding to say, hey, you made a connection, you downloaded something. And for the next four to seven days, we'll send you emails to kind of help you understand who we are and what we're doing. And then we pitch. Ideally, which is the best route to kind of take if, if you're going towards someone that you've never spoken to before? If you've never spoken to someone before and you're putting out that content to get them to hand over their information, which is half the battle, I would immediately sift them into some sort of welcome series. So set up maybe three to five emails of just introducing your company or you, depending on what you're doing, and explaining not what you do so much versus how you got there, but also going into why you started this and why you're helping people solve a problem or just improve their life, whatever kind of business you're doing. And then the next three or four emails, I would say to just kind of tell them how you're helping them more, drop in your services here and there, but don't just leave it as 
you need to buy from me today so I can help you do this. You want to say, here's why I'm helping people. Here's what customers have to say about me. And here's why you might be interested. So if you want to have a conversation, great. If not, stay tuned for more information. Okay. And I would just keep it simple in general. Okay. So let's just talk about you. I mean, obviously, like like you've proven in, in a short period of time, like you know your stuff about email marketing and you give like a top level overview of what you do and how you do it. But more so, like if you could define yourself in three to five words, what would those three to five words be to describe you? Ooh, um, I would say loyal. Um, so I'm very loyal to brands that I like and I'm very loyal to my clients versus doing what's best for them. Um, I would, I like to keep it fun and light. Um, helpful is another word. I don't know what else. I think just ethical. Mm. I like to have things be done the right way. And I always see better results that way. Mm. Um, so it might take a little longer, but if it's done the right way, I think it's gives you more credibility. Okay. So you have loyal, you have ethical, you, you have hopeful. So let, like let's flip this on the other side. Now, no matter how loyal you are, how ethical you are, how hopeful you are, there's always going to be a negative Nancy that comes into the equation. It's always like the worst case scenario client that pops into the equation. So without naming names, I want you to talk about the worst case example that you've dealt with a client that was kind of like, this is not going to work. And you're sitting there thinking like, why the hell are you in front of me? If you don't think it's going to work. And they're going back and forth and they're arguing and they're fussing and they're fighting and they're telling you no, but they hired you to help them. How did you overcome that? Oh, wow. I have so many examples. Um, back, I think when I probably first started my company, I obviously was saying yes to anyone and everything that I could work for and work with just because I was trying to build a clientele. Um, so I got involved with this one company who was using a certain email platform that I don't particularly love, but it works. Um, and so they came in and they wanted me to help with their email strategy and wanted them to help, wanted me to help them put out the right messaging to the right people. That was the whole reason I started working with them. So as we are getting into their system, I'm noticing that they have really high bounce rates. They have really high unsubscribe rates. And so I'm asking, you know, where did their list come from? Is it an outdated list? Is it an organic list that maybe we just need to clean through an email validation tool? Or do we need to really look at if this was a purchase list or not. Mm -hmm. And they flat out said it was a purchase list. They didn't get opt-in or permission from any of the people on this list. And they're just gonna keep going with it. And I said, if you keep going with this, it was a very large list. If you keep going with this, your domain might be blacklisted, mm -hmm. which means you're not gonna be able to email anymore, which is going to eventually hurt your business <laughs> versus going out and trying to build this list organically. And it was a hard no, you're gonna purchase this list and you're gonna send these emails and we want you to do it. Meaning my login information would be plain and clear right in that system saying that I sent these emails, which I don't really want my name on. And it just isn't good for the company. So, I specifically said, I, will, I won't do this because it's unethical. We don't want to purchase this list and just not get opt-in permission. It's one thing if you have this list and we're getting permission, but you're not doing that. So 
let's try and just build these website forms and see if we can put out content to educate them. Nope, we don't have time for that. We're just going to keep going and going. And I said, well, I'm telling you right now, I want it in writing that this idea you're not going to be able to use an email platform anymore. A month later, I stopped working with them. And sure enough, that happened. They got blacklisted. They came back. They wanted to work with me again to say, well, we're going to do it the right way, we swear. And I mean, at that point, I just moved on because you just can't trust them. So eventually, I don't know that I got them to overcome it <laughs> or I did because it was just a case of they needed to do things in a rush and I just couldn't watch them go down in flames. So I think in, in, in that story, I mean, you brought up a couple of things that kind of sparked some questions for me. I mean, one, I think in today's world, if you're familiar with email marketing, you've heard the terminology opt-in, right? But yeah. most people, they don't understand, like, there's usually a double opt-in now. Like, there's not just one level of opt-in, there's multiple levels of opt-in. So I want you yeah. to kind of, like, define that and talk about that and and, and, and tell, tell the listener why the double opt-in is so important versus a single opt-in or just importing a random database without any verification. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you are importing any sort of data that you've never spoken to before, it doesn't matter if it's a cold list or something you've gotten from an event, you always want to send out a one-time opt-in email. And what that looks like is really just putting something simple together saying, we received your email address from this event, from wherever you got it from. And we want to give you this free piece of content to maybe entice them to opt in. And if you download this content, you're also going to check this box saying that you're okay with us receiving communication from, yeah. from us. Um, and so that's kind of the first step. And that's a good way to weed out the list of who's going to be interested and who's not. And once they check that box, usually what will be done is that that person, the end reader, gets a confirmation email saying, you've opted into our list. We're going to give you one more time to unsubscribe if you did this on accident. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to keep getting communication from us, you don't have to do anything. Just wait for our next email. Um, and that's kind of the second step. And then that way you have documentation in your email platform that they did opt in, um, as well as that person feels all warm and fuzzy inside that you actually care. So the other whole piece of it is just making the end user feel like you care. Because if you have an email, you click on subscribe, you get the same email again, you're going to know that they don't care and you're just going to spam them. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, obviously with so much information that, that you have of just about email, I want to talk about like your journey of getting here. Cause I mean, like looking at your LinkedIn profile, you know, you, you have some graphic design background, right? You have digital marketing background, right? So like, where did all this come from? And I want you to kind of time travel back to you as a kid and like, were you the kid with a marker in the hand drawn and everything with crayons? Like what kind of kid were you to become who you are right now? I was a dork. Um, <laughs> I was always, I mean, I, I grew up like pre, I mean, computers were around, but like technology really wasn't a thing when I was growing up and in high school and all of that, but we had, you know, computer classes. And so I would always ace those. And then 
I just really enjoyed figuring out the technical side of things. And so I actually had a teacher in high school who told me flat out, like, you're going to do something in computers one day. And this was pre-internet and all of that. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, what do you do with computers? Like, I don't know. Um, and then I went to college and I had a marketing background or not background, but I went and got a marketing degree after I did two years of psychology, because apparently I just like to analyze things. <laughs> so that's kind of how I veered into marketing, just because I wanted more of the business sense. Um, so I went towards a marketing degree. And then at the same time, I actually went to RIT and got my graphic design certificate, because at the time, they didn't even offer it at my college. Um, so I went and got two degrees at the same time. So I was just always into the technical side of marketing once it started to really come out full force. Um, and, you know, after that, I was living in New York City and I was working for media companies when I think Salesforce was really starting to come on the scene in 2007, I think. Um, I'm really dating myself here. It's not fun. But um <laughs> 2007, I went and got certified in Salesforce as a Salesforce admin first and was doing all the implementations there for some companies um, that I worked for at the time. But I always came back to marketing. And once email marketing platforms started to come out, I just got more involved in that. And I was curious to know just how you can actually target an audience eventually. Um, so I stuck with that. And then I went and moved to Atlanta in 2013, and I was working for technology companies there, and I basically taught myself how to use Pardot until I got certified in that. So I was just always a nerd, and then <laughs> it just came to me very, very easily. Um, and then I started playing around in all of these other systems because I worked for different companies who use different systems, of course. Um, so I just got really well-versed in that. And, you know, I would go to the Salesforce conferences and I would just network around and talk to more people about the, what's going on in the industry just to keep up with the latest features. Um, and then I started my own business in 2015 simply because I was so tired of corporate America <laughs> and <laughs> working for companies who just told me it has to be done one way and that's it. There was no other way to do it. And I was sitting there all these years and I just knew that there were a million ways to do a million different things when it came to email marketing. So I wanted to give clients an opportunity to actually pick the platform that might be good for their company but also just to give them more flexibility on how to accomplish their email strategy, because there's not one way to do it. And while maybe the marketing departments are being told to do it one way, I'm an external employee. So now I can come in and say, don't do it this way. <laughs> and here's why, and here's proof of why it works. So yeah, I don't know. I was just always a computer nerd. I just loved video games. I loved figuring out all of the technical stuff behind it, how everything works. And I just made it into a marketing business. <laughs> I think it's hella fascinating because I mean, obviously, like, and this is just bring up the elephant in the room, right? I mean, 
in, in a digital world, as far as technology, is usually driven by men. So for you to mm-hmm. come in as a, as, a, as a woman and, and being yeah. as concrete as you are and being so matter of fact and saying that this is wrong, I'm sure mm-hmm. that you got some friction. So let's talk about like, was that part of your decision making to run your own agency or did you kind of like just kind of eventually just decided, you know, what the hell with it, I'm going to take everything that I know that's correct and right, going back to your values and started your agency because of that? I think it was both. I am not a quiet person. (laughs) I'm very blunt and opinionated. I'm an Italian New Yorker. I just say what's on my mind. So when I was in corporate America, I had no problem speaking up if I didn't think something was being done the right way, or maybe there was an easier way to do it. Um, I had no problem speaking up about that. And it was always met with friction because I'm not supposed to say what I think should be done because I'm not supposed to go against the boss and I just need to sit down and shut up. So it was a lot of that. And I was very, very tired of that. So that played into it. And then I did see a lot of companies, a lot of larger agencies just try and sell small companies, a really big product when they don't need it. Um, And it just wasn't fair. So I think it was both. There was a lot of friction in the working world for me, just, of course, being a woman and then going against all of my male bosses, because it was all pretty much male bosses at that time. Um, And it just wasn't fun. It wasn't appreciated. And it was really hard to climb the ladder. And I just realized one day that I'm never going to climb the ladder this way if I'm stuck in corporate America. I mean, that might not be the case now, but it was when I was there. Mm-hmm. So to me, I always wanted my own business and this was just pushing me to do it faster. So just look at like the like scope of, of time, right? Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. what was here about like the scenario of someone taking 10, 20, even 30 years to become an overnight success. How long have you been on your journey to become who you are right now? Um, I think a while. Um, I'll be honest, when I first started my company, it, this is going to sound very arrogant, but it really wasn't that hard. I networked around and I made a lot of good contacts and people started just referring me and giving me little consulting jobs here and there. And I just literally networked my ass off for probably that first two or three years. And I've had a ton of cups of coffee with people. I just worked and worked and worked and it was really hard to keep it going. Um, But to get started, it wasn't that hard, but just to keep it going was the challenging part because you start out and you get clients right away and you think, oh, this is easy. I don't have to do much anymore. And then a few years go by and you're thinking, this isn't going to be easy all the time. I need to actually prove myself and I need to keep up with the latest technology plus run a business <laughs> plus make my clients happy. Um, so I think it's been a journey. I feel like I'm still on that journey, but I do feel like I know my shit. I know what I'm going to do. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah, uh, who are you talking to? Come on. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I just feel like I'm more, I know my industry better than a lot of people out there. And I feel like I know the pre-technology side of marketing too, which also helps 
because again, you're still dealing with human relationships. So that's a big part of it that I can bring with me mm. into this new technology world where I'm, you have to basically learn every single day. So I think it's still a journey, but I definitely know that I know my shit and I can speak about it. Okay. So let's get on the sci-fi side for a second, right? Let's say you're Marty McFly and you have an opportunity to fly backwards in time, right? <laughs> right? And, and, and you have opportunity to, to pick one day to have a conversation with yourself, when would you go back to and what would you talk to about yourself with to change, to make things happen a lot faster if you could do it all over again? Ooh, interesting. Um, I think that would have to be during the recession in 2009 when I got laid off Mm. along with the rest of the world. And I was like a disaster. I was like 27 years old or whatever I was. And I was just a mess. And I was like, I'm done. I'm not going to have a career. I was living in Manhattan. I was broke as a joke. And I was like, this is it. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm just going to find any old job and just do whatever can pay the pills, which, you know, I had to do. But if I could go back and talk to her, I would say, pick your ass up and get out of the city. (laughs) Go to Atlanta, because it was three years later that I went to Atlanta go to Atlanta. You're going to be fine. You're going to meet the best people ever. You're going to start your business and you're just going to do it because you don't need to work in these corporate jobs anymore. You just, you're your own person. You know what you're doing. Just go. That was probably the hardest year ever for a lot of everybody. So, I mean, like, like, let's do it like a parallel effect, right? So, I mean, obviously you had that going on. That's the time you would go back to to talk to yourself, but in your entire journey, you've like fallen in love with music. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've been talking about X, Y, and Z, but we haven't touched upon like your love for music. I mean, to the point to where like, you know, I travel, but you travel with a, an intention. You travel with the intention to go listen to a particular group or a particular band, no matter where you're going, which is, it's, it's, a, it's like an entire strategy to make that happen. So I want yeah. you to talk about like, why music? Do you play instruments? Like, how did you fall in love with like, you know, not being a groupie, but essentially traveling and following bands to hear them play live. Yeah. Um, I would love to be a groupie, first of all. <laughs> um, I've always been into music since I was little and I, I played the piano when I was like five, but I don't play an interest instrument now. I've just always been into live music. And I don't know if it's because I grew up in Syracuse, New York, where there was nothing to do. So when concerts were coming here, it was like, woohoo, something to do that's not going to the mall. Like that might have done it, but I don't know. Like my first concert I went to, I was like nine years old. It was New Kids on the Block, of course, naturally. And then after that, it was when I started actually like getting into more of like my rock music that I like, like Aerosmith, um, Dave Matthews, of course, when I was in like ninth grade. And ever since then, I mean, even in high school, we were purposely traveling around central New York just to go to concerts. So to me, like live music gives me life. It makes me happy. It's motivating. I don't, I always feel better after I go to a concert, whether that's a large stadium concert or just at a dive bar. Like, I don't care where it is. Um, it just always makes me happy. So yeah, a lot of times my travel is definitely based on concerts. (laughs) It's definitely really interesting. I mean, I had the honor of speaking to your brother as well too. And it's like, 
for him, he worked for like a wrestling foundation. So, I mean, obviously that's entertainment. You're big into entertainment. So I want to kind of talk about like, were both of y'all raised in a household where your parents yeah. were business owners that were entertainers? Like, where do you, where, where's that coming from? Yeah, actually our family is very musical. Now that you talk, say that, um, my parents, I mean, they like music, but they weren't in the industry or anything. They were business owners, but all of my family is very much self-employed and half of them are into music. So there are a lot of cousins, aunts, and uncles that have their own bands or producing music. Um, yeah, there's a lot of family members now that you say that. We're a very creative family, apparently. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe that is where I got it from, just because we were always around some family member either singing or hmm. producing music. Mm -hmm. From the outside looking in, I mean, it yeah. sounds about right to me, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that makes sense. Never put that together before. <laughs> so let's, let's put another thing together. I mean, obviously, earlier on in, in this episode, you had a little pupper that hopped into your lap. And it's kind of like a family situation, right? Does mm -hmm. this roadie dog go everywhere with you to these concerts as well? Like, I mean, obviously, you, you travel enough, but where where is the dog when you're traveling? The dog, she's on my lap right now. Um, she will travel with me. Um, if I am specifically going for a concert, I usually will board her or my parents will watch her because they're obsessed with her. Um, but yeah, she was just with me on the whole like two month little road trip I was doing up and down the East Coast. She was with me. She loves to travel. She loves the party. So I think if I could bring her to a concert, she'd love it. <laughs> hmm. mm -hmm. So let's yeah. go to like, like your routines. I mean, obviously having a dog, you I mean, you probably have to get up pretty early to, to walk, but like, what's your usual thing that you do within the first couple hours when you wake up? Yeah, definitely get up and walk Midge, the dog. Um, and then usually it's taking care of her and I'll have my coffee. And then usually, honestly, I just go right to work. Um, so I don't get up and like, I work out in like the middle of the day or the end of the day. I'm not a 5 a.m. workout person. I wish I could be, if not. But yeah, the dog pretty much runs my day. It's getting up for her. Otherwise, I'd probably sleep later. And then walking her throughout the day gets me away from my laptop. So yeah, she basically runs my life. <laughs> hey, that's, that's why I had to bring her up. I mean, it was like, come on, I'm not going to leave this interview without bringing up the, the dog you've been for the, like, the past 30 minutes, right? Yeah, she's literally in every meeting I have. <laughs> clients are just used to it by now okay okay mm -hmm. so i want to talk about like i mean obviously you're saying that growing up you had like a nerd side to you right so like you were really big into technology so mm -hmm. and today right let's say are you still a nerd in the aspect of learning are you reading books are you more so a, a video watcher audiobook listener like which flavor of of, of of consuming information do you tend to reach out to I am definitely still into learning all of the new things. Um, I learn more by hands-on activities. So I'll sit here. I mean, I was just trying to figure out something right before we got on this call. Um, and I'll sit here and just try and fiddle with things and figure it out. Um, I don't learn by reading books. Um, I like to read books just for knowledge about other people and how they got where they are so like a business book on how they got to where they are that's something that I would learn but 
when it comes to technology, I just like to dive in and play around and see what happens. So I'm constantly having to learn new things for my business, but there's there's a lot out there. Like there's always new video games where I'm like, wow, I got to learn how to play that because <laughs> it's literally like you're playing in a movie now. So there's just so many things, but mostly it's it's just me getting on my computer and hands-on learning or a YouTube video that shows me something. Yeah. I think that was that was a good thing you brought up about like bio. So if you can kind of think about like a bio that you would want to recommend for the listener, which is the one that you would recommend? Business related or just yeah. anything? Business related that you could remember, mm. like I obviously helped you to become who you are. Mm, that's a great question. I wish I had one here. Um I literally read any business owner books. Like I think I can't, of course, I'm not gonna be able to think of one on the spot. Um, but anyone, anything that's related to some sort of marketing business is what I tend to veer towards, um, or just creating something from nothing in general, but yeah, I'm totally blanking on an actual bio. I read, I've been reading a lot of celebrity autobiographies lately. So my mind is mush from that. <laughs> well, let's go ahead. Which celebrity you've been reading about? Matthew Perry <laughs> from Friends. I was just thinking like, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's an oldie. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course I'll probably read Prince Harry's why not. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of that, all of these people who are just coming out with these like revelations about their life and how they overcame all these obstacles to be where they are today. Like I just find all of that fascinating. Hmm. So, but I mean, you could compare yourself not directly to them, but I mean, everyone that has a life has a journey and, and overcomes obstacles. So, I mean, wouldn't you be able to write your own book eventually? Yes. I feel like you have told me this many times. <laughs> yeah, I, I should. It seems like such a huge undertaking to write a book about myself. I mean, I have a hard enough time posting about myself on LinkedIn. So <laughs> writing an actual book is going to be a quite a thing for me to do but i should start to outline that at least yeah I've i mean, told I think, you ways. <laughs> yeah yeah i told you dozens of ways and i think the, the irony is that your brother's a writer as well too so i mean it's kind of mm-hmm. in your bloodline so it's kind of like eh, sooner or I later know. i know you're right yeah there are a couple of people in my family that have written books all of these people <laughs> opportunities there I think another thing that you brought up that was pretty cool is like video games. So, I mean, you know, I, I think you made a comment before, like when I like I had an arcade at my house and you was like, well, I, I got to play that. And I didn't really realize how much of a gamer you are until like right now. So like what games are you playing right now? <laughs> um, so I was really into um, the Lord of the Rings game, Breath of the Wild mm. um, on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, my brother had it and it was like, oh, I need this now. Um, I was really into that. Um, but I used to play like Call of Duty. I used to play all of the things on Xbox. Um, yeah, I was, I still have like my little mini Nintendo that I play all of like the old school games, Contra, obsessed with. Yeah, I play a lot of random, random games. So yeah, there's another. Do you remember the hack for Contra? Oh my gosh. Up, down, no. Up, down, up, down. A, oh my gosh, I'm wrong. A, B, B, A. Oh, start select. 
you, you got the variables. I think it was up down, up down, left right, left right, A B A B A B start. Somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet you're I one of those true. variables are in there. So yes. All right. I see. I see you. I see yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's another like Zelda game coming out. Zelda, not Lord of the Rings. Zelda Breath of the Wild. <laughs> so I mean, obviously, like being that technically inclined, like selecting an email platform is probably really easy for you. So I want to talk about like you, you're certified in Salesforce. You're also certified in, in, in MailChimp. Why mm-hmm. are you certified in those platforms? Now, I know that like they're the big players, but there's so many other variables and players in that spectrum and space. Why did you pick those two? So MailChimp is one that I've just always worked in and I use it for myself sometimes. So I just decided that I use it this much. I should just get the certification just to have it. And then they actually reached out and wanted me to be a MailChimp partner. So to me, that was just a no brainer. Um, The Salesforce and Pardot I found was the most logical for me because I work with a lot of small to mid-sized companies. So Pardot now called marketing cloud account engagement, whatever they changed it to, I'm still saying Pardot. Um, That is geared more towards the mid-sized company range. So it made sense for me to get certified in that just because that's who my client base ends up being half the time. Um, And I was working in it a lot when I was in corporate America. So that was something that I felt that I already knew. I didn't really have to study too much for it. Granted, those exams are very hard, but I already knew it. So it just made sense. And I just work in it so much. Um, the other ones that I work in a lot are HubSpot, which I'm working actually towards that certification. And then, um, I mean, I worked with all of them. There's so many out there. Um, Marketo, there's Constant Contact. I mean, they're all so specific to company size, I think. So it just, for me, it's who do I work with the most and who can I who do I want to work with the most? And that's probably where I'm going to go pick a certification. Okay. So let's just, just talk to the listener. Now, obviously you named several different platforms. Some of them are high profile, some of them a little bit smaller, some of them were large and smaller now, but ideally if you're giving a recommendation, what should a person look for in their email marketing program? So they need to know, first of all, how many contacts do they have or do they plan on getting within that next year? Um, they need to know that just because a lot of these platforms charge based on audience size. Mm-hmm. Um, the other things they'll want to look at is what are they actually planning to do? I mean, what are their goals for the year? Is it just to send emails? Then maybe you don't need a bigger platform that's meant to integrate with a CRM and all of these other things. Um they need to think about more so do they have a lot of other third-party systems that they're using and if they are using a lot of third-party systems maybe for events or a crm or just you know an e-commerce platform do they want all of that to be seen in one place because you can integrate all of those systems into your email platform depending on which one you pick so it's it's mainly audience size and what's the bigger picture for the rest of the year? Okay. And you have a lot of things that you need to see in one place versus clicking all over the place to go into five different systems. So let's spin this back and ask you the question. 
as you're the avatar, right? Like what tool do you use on a day-to-day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing without having access to? Definitely Pardot for sure. Um, I use MailChimp a lot as well. Um, And I also use a lot of third-party services. So I use um, a lot, I use a platform for all of my contracts and proposals. Um, And then I have another platform for all of my calendar scheduling. Um, So I want all of those systems to be talking to each other so that I don't have to know oh my gosh, I forgot to open this application the other day, so I have no idea what's going on with my contracts. Um, so for me, it's it's a lot of MailChimp and Pardot, for sure. So let's talk to, to, to your ideal avatar right now. Obviously, you're talking about small to mid-sized businesses, and like that, that's our listener group, right? What mm-hmm. words of wisdom would you want them to take away from this episode with you being the voice of reason? Just that they don't have to be locked into one box. If they're concerned about their email strategy or their email platform, either one, if they're talking to larger agencies that are saying they need a million different platforms to make something work, I would always second guess that because I am big on streamlining and less is more. Mm -hmm. So I would say you don't need... 15,000 features, 15 million platforms to do a strategy for your email. Um, So I would say to make sure to shop around and just listen to consultants and get out into some Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups just to see what people are saying about the platforms that you're shopping. Um, Because you don't need to be locked into a box. Um, So I try to keep things very flexible and just cater to what the company actually needs versus what my bottom line is, which might seem a little backwards, but (laughs) it's been working. Hey, if it works, it works. Mm -hmm. So if they're listening right now and they want to get in contact with you, how do they find you on internet? Like where would you want them to go to? They can go to my website, lmbdigimarketing.com, or they can find me on LinkedIn, Lainey Belcastro. And or my company page, LMB Digi Marketing. And those are probably the two best places to find me. And you'll get all of my contact information there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that leads me into bonus questions. And I've been looking forward to this bonus questions because, again, with, with your music background, I, I would think whoever you're going to name based upon this question should be music related. But then again, it would be me assuming and making an ass of myself. So let me ask you the question. Okay. If you could spend 24 hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted for those 24 hours, who would it be and why? Oh, well, that's easy. Steven Tyler, of course. <laughs> I didn't make an ass of myself. Yes. <laughs> All-time fave band. Um, love it. I just want to sit with him for a full day and just pick his brain what brain he he probably has left <laughs> and i just want i have so many questions about the 70s <laughs> and how he actually has made it this far um i actually have met him once and that was only for like 5 minutes so so i need full a full 24 hours with him to really just pick his brain on all the things <laughs> 
Do they still play? Are they still having concerts? They were supposed to, they just stopped. So we just went to the 50th, well, technically 53rd anniversary show, I guess, because it was supposed to happen during COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, then they had some shows in Vegas and then he got sick and had to cancel the last of them. So mm-hmm. apparently they are done, but I don't believe it. <laughs> Clock is ticking, that's for sure. It's definitely ticking. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, with that, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of different achievements. I mean, just the fact that you, you're a woman-owned business, running your own agency, you've been running successfully for a period of time, and you're kind of like a no-nonsense. You tell people how it is. If you had to pick one of your greatest achievements out of everything you've done, which one would it be? Hmm. I would say... <laughs> breaking out of my hometown and just picking up, literally moving to the largest city in the world with knowing one person and told myself I would move to New York for one year just to see if I could do it. And I was there for eight years. Um, I feel like that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to do. And it was really hard to do, but I just went for it and I did it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so based upon what you're saying, it sounds like you kind of have like the, the nomad spirit in you. You just kind of like, ah, the hell with it. I'm just going to just go ahead and just do it and just pick up and just go. I mean, you have to have that kind of ingenuity to be able to kind of travel from state to state, maybe even country to country to, to follow mm-hmm. musicians. I mean, would you say that's a true statement? Yeah, I would say that's true. I'm a pretty good traveler. We grew up traveling all over the world. So I think it was ingrained in me from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um so for me, I was like, I'm just going to find a job and I'll move and it'll be fine. Um, and that's how I got to Atlanta. I knew one person when I went to Atlanta and I just picked up and left and I went. Um, I mean, I did a lot of networking before that to make sure I could get a job, but I just went. And then if I see there's concerts that I want to see that are overseas, I have no problem just like booking a ticket and going. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So going into, I got one last question before we get ready to, to close out. I want to talk about like your new website and your new branding. And, you know, obviously I love purple. So I want to kind of like talk about like, w- what is your meaning behind like the, the iconography of that? Why did you select purple and what does your brand mean to you? So I picked purple and light gray just because I, I wanted something that was very, it made me feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, So the purple and gray were very relaxed colors for me. And then I think I even looked up the meaning of the colors at one point and it was basically exactly who I am. It's, you know, very solid and consistent and steady. And they were just, it just spoke to me and I literally came up with it. And I think in a digital marketing class that I took um, and I just designed it right then and there. And then I just stuck with it. And so that to me is just solid easy colors to go with, as you know. Um, And then the logo, I wanted something very simple, but showed that I wanted something to present, represent that I'm working with things in an all-encompassing approach. So I'm not just doing emails to send emails. I'm looking at the whole picture and seeing how things work together to give these clients the best bang for their buck. And the logo, which was circular, just kind of spoke to that. Very cool. But yeah, I just wanted things to be simple, solid, clean. 
Yeah, very effective. Very mm-hmm. effective. So going into closing, I mean, I'd like to give whoever I'm interviewing an opportunity to become the host of the Boston Cage podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now my show is yours and I'm your guest. Do you have any questions you'd like to ask? Essay. Oh, so many. <laughs> So my biggest question is, how did you get into branding? And was that something, I mean, I'm kind of turning the tables back on you. I mean, were you, did you grow up with just wanting to build brands? Because I know you're also into movies and video games as well. Yeah. For me, I would say it kind of goes back to, to, I didn't realize it at the time that I've always had some artistic talent per se. So Mm -hmm. I was always sketching and drawing. And then I didn't didn't even even know what graffiti was until like middle school going into high school. And once I realized that I can tag on everything. Yeah. That was like the first dawn of me becoming a brander because I look at graffiti as branding. It's like, how many times can Mm -hmm. I get up? Where can I get up? Because someone see it how like weird or upside down or crazy location to where someone can see your brand and, mm-hmm. and look at it and be like, how the hell, how the hell did yeah. that person do that? And I, I look at branding till this day, the same exact way as me being, you know, a 12 year old, 13 year old kid with, with a, a sandpaper or a Sharpie or a sticker in my hand. And if I see opportunity, I want to tag it. I mean, like we went to New York this past weekend and I, I, I went prepared with, with Boston Cage stickers because I'm like, I'm going to be in Times Square. I'm going to bomb the living shit out of Times Square. Every time I see a pole, I'm going to climb it. I'm going to put a sticker on it. And that's what I did for like the four days I was there. Every time we stopped somewhere and people just, I'm like, nobody's looking, cover me. And I'm sticking stickers every damn where. So it, it just, it's part of who I am. It's ingrained in me. You branded New York City. <laughs> like literally, yeah. Like literally, I think I, I, I don't know, I probably had like 40 stickers or whatever. I came back with like three or four, but I was, I was just bombing them everywhere. And it's, it's kind of like, you have to kind of be cautious because, you know, New York is kind of, it's a cleaner city than when I was there. But mm-hmm. certain streets, you can still see graffiti or you can still see stickers. So I was like, okay, look, as long as my stickers with these other stickers, technically speaking, I'm good. So yeah. and I, I was just bombing. I was bombing for four days. That's what it felt like to me. And so how do you, I mean, I feel like, do you ever get sick of your brand because you see it so much? Well, it's, it's a newer brand per se. I mean, my original brand came to me in like, I guess it was 2000, 2001. That's the Cerebral 360 brand that I have trademarked and everything. And I had that brand forever, but Boston Cage essentially is like my new, new brand that I just came up with in 2020. So it's roughly two and a half years old. But it's a stronger brand than any other brand that I've, I've owned or created before it. So it's going to be very difficult for me to kind of like everything that I teach and everything that, that I educate my clients on about branding. I, I did it with this brand. So yeah. it's almost impossible for me to get tired of it. If I get to the point to where I'm tired of it, it'll probably be the point to where the brand is going to be so flushed out and so dominant. I could just sell it and start all over again. That's true. Yeah. Um, would you ever incorporate your Star Wars love in your brand? Um, <laughs> I feel like there's so much opportunity there. There is opportunity. I mean, I, I kind of symbolically put some stuff in there, but I, I, I love so many other things as well, too. Like, I got Scarface on, on this side of the room, and I got Mr. Manhattan over there, and I got The Matrix on that side of the room, too. So there's so many different elements of movies and games and life. that. But I, I was like, okay, how do I complete my background without making it too over the top with all these other random things. So I decided to kind of slim it down to just negative and positive push and pull yin and yang. And then everything else is just hundred percent branded. That's amazing. 
So when you work with your clients, do you push them to just come up with one simple thing and then just brand the crap out of it? Like, and just buy clothes, buy a hat and just go brand New York City. I mean, is that kind of where you push clients to or is it different? It's different. It's different based upon like, I'll, like kind of going back to my education platform. I always say there's four types of branding, right? There's a mm-hmm. company brand, there's a personal brand there. There's a service brand and there's a product brand for me. I'm building all four, but some yeah. ideally they may not want to be an actual personal brand. So right. wearing their product may not work for the individual. Right. So mm-hmm. again, I wouldn't push that person that, but if they're telling me that they want to write books, they want to yeah. speak stages, they want to be in front of a camera podcast. They want to be guests on shows. And if you're not branding yourself and wearing your brand, you're doing yourself a complete disservice versus if you're going to be more of the investor kind of person that guy in the back of the room, nobody knows your name, knows who you are, you're worth, you know, $2 billion and you're signing all the checks, but nobody never knows that you do it. Then by all means, you don't want to brand yourself, but I guarantee you that the individual people in the room know your company and they know the products. And that's where you have those two brands working for each other very dominantly. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just one size fits all for everyone. Kind of like no, me. no, yeah. no, no. That's, that's why it's four brands. I mean, there's four opportunities. And I, and I would say, if you think about a household brand that has done it well, mm-hmm. I would I always go, kind of go back to like Apple. Apple has mm-hmm. all four of these brands and all four of these brands are essentially in households to where they're part of your day-to-day life to where they're, they're infused with you. Like you wear and use that brand more than you would say your name of your spouse or, or your kids. And I want you to think about that at scale. Like, Mm-hmm. Apple is that brand. I mean, obviously for kids, probably Xbox and Playstations are, are those brand names that they'll they'll wear, they'll share. And ideally, they're paying to do it. That's the thing that blows my mind is that mm-hmm. we're paying these co- corporations money to help market their brands for them. Right. Do you think that your brand represents SA more or your actual hmm. strategy service agency? I think this is the first time I've created a brand that it is it's a hybrid. It's literally half creative, half analytical, which represents me. So like when I'm talking about like this, like, for example, if you if you if visual person is looking at this podcast right now, video, and you're looking at these two book bags, those book bags come from like my downtime when I'm drawing these graffiti sketches in a black book. And I could have just put the logo on the bag, but I was like, what's something that I would want to wear as essay outside yeah. of Boston Cage, even though if I sell this brand, I'm still going to rock my graffiti driven book bags because that's who I am. But by the brand's sake, it all works together in that ecosystem as well. Right. Well, that's really interesting. I like that. Yes. I don't think I've ever really knew, knew like the full backstory of like how you came up with all of your branding. Because we, we talk about branding, but you never really talk about how you came up with yours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's um like literally the icon for my brand came to me well before Boston Cage was even in my vocabulary. It came to me, I was at a, a, a co-working center somewhere and I was just working on my laptop and they had like magnetic boards and whiteboards and stuff. And I look up and it was four red arrows and, and, a, and a circle. And the circle was like way to the left and the arrows were scattered to the right. And I was just kind of like, and I moved my laptop out the way I got up and it was just like, I moved the pieces together and I was just like, holy shit. And it's yeah. sad because I, I, I remember taking the picture, I scanned it in and I drew the illustration to make the logo and, and I had attached it to like a product. 
back in the day and I never really flushed out the product and it sat dormant for like six, seven years. So then when wow. Boston Page came, I was just kind of like, and I'm sitting here doing all the variables, doing everything I do for clients. And I was like, what would be cool? And, I, and then my memory kicked in. And I was like, dude, you really made this shit seven years ago. And I went on this hiatus looking for this icon to pull all the all the pieces together. And when I found it, I was like, that's Boston Cage. That's the brand. And I was like, holy shit. Seven years before I knew it. You were a genius seven years ago. <laughs> I, I think it's probably the voices, not genius, just the voices in my head that I answer and respond to. So that's so funny. Um, one more question that I have is what video games are you playing right now? So recently, um, you know, we, we got into the whole VR space and I love VR just from the, the tech standpoint. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like an old game head as well, too. So for Christmas, I went ahead and bought myself this gaming station that has two joysticks built into it. And it came with 3000 games built into it. So it has all of the Mario's. All of like the Nintendo games, Genesis games, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, all into one platform. So every once in a while, I'll just go and turn it on, close my eyes, pick something random and just start playing it because it's 3000 options. Why not? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Those are the best systems because you have everything right there. Yep. It's great. Yep. And yep. all the old school stuff. It's awesome. Contra is there as well. Just saying. Next time I'm coming over and we're going to have. Contra. Yeah, yeah, we definitely should do it, man. A, a bourbon, whiskey, and Contra sounds like a win-win. Yeah, I think that sounds like the perfect night. <laughs> well, I, I definitely appreciate you. I mean, I hope that this podcast, I think, you know, you were saying this was maybe one of your first podcasts. I think you did very well. I think you informed our audience about who you are, what you do, how you do it, how passionate you are about it. And that's why I've deemed you the email marketing boss. I don't think anyone else <laughs> can do it any better than you can. So I definitely love having you here today. I love that. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I love it. And it was my very first podcast that I've ever done. So cool. Not your last, but your first. No, definitely not my last. This was fun. Cool. All right, guys. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thank you for tuning in to another empowering episode of Boss Uncaged, where we've explored the ins and outs of entrepreneurship, harnessed the power of digital marketing, and embraced the journey of building impactful brands. As we wrap up this episode, I want to express my deepest gratitude to our incredible guests, listeners, and the entire Boss Uncaged community. Your dedication to unlocking your potential and conquering the business realm has made this podcast a dynamic hub of inspiration and knowledge. Throughout the Boss Uncaged journey, we've delved into exclusive interviews, shared strategies, and celebrated success stories from founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. It's been a roller coaster of insights, lessons, and triumphs, and I hope you found valuable takeaways to apply in your own entrepreneurial endeavors. Whether we've tackled challenges together, explored the vast landscape of diverse media platforms, or uncovered the secrets to dominating in business, your commitment to the Boss Uncaged spirit has been truly inspiring. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, like leave a positive five-star review, and share the Boss Uncaged podcast to continue elevating the business game. The Boss Spirit runs free, and we're always ready to amplify your entrepreneurial journey with extra resources at BossUncaged.com. Before we sign off, remember that Boss Uncaged is more than just a podcast. It's the heartbeat of the Boss Uncaged educational network and omni-media. It's a vision brought to life by the Uncaged Boss in all of us. Thank you for being part of this incredible ride. Stay hungry, stay focused, and keep conquering the business realm. Boss, Subscribe, like, and share now to keep the Boss Uncaged spirit alive. Boss, Boss Uncaged. Uncaged.